Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. We are delighted that you are here. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Will you join me in reading our call to worship? Your generosity is extravagant, Jesus. Your grace and mercy so freely given. Your love and presence so readily available. Your spirit and strength so reliable. Remind us that your blessings are always meant to be shared. Teach us to stay always awake to your coming and always ready to invite others into the blessings you so freely share with us. Amen. Thank 
us unite our hearts and our voices in our opening prayer. It is mystery that is beyond us, Jesus, that our clumsy attempts at goodness, our frail and faltering labors, could make any contribution to your saving work in our world. Yet you dignify and bless us by inviting us into your service and assuring us that what we do does matter. And then you add the gifts of joy, fulfillment, creativity, and your own support and care. What a gracious God you are and how grateful we are for your love. But sometimes we forget this grace and we begin to look around us. We start to notice strange co-workers who are doing things differently. Some seem less committed than we are, and others have come into your service late, after years of caring only for themselves. Some appear to make mistakes more than any valuable contribution they may offer, and others seem to work against you by the way they live or the wrong things they believe. Forgive us when we judge and denigrate the service of others, and when we expect you to value and reward our work more than anyone else's. Forgive us when we challenge your selection of laborers and when we question how you choose to distribute your grace. Restore us to the joy of simple, faithful service and teach us to leave the recruitment and the results to you. Amen. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us for Children's Time this morning. Today we're going to be talking about a, a difficult to understand parable called the Parable of the Vineyard and the laborers in the vineyard. And uh, it made me think about when my niece and nephew were little. Um, Griffin was maybe four and Jillian six or maybe Griffin was five and Jillian was seven. But uh, we used to spend a lot of time together and sometimes we would go shopping and I would give them each a little bit of money so that they could buy something that they wanted and I had to uh, learn that I had to pay them the same way like I had to give Jillian a five dollar bill and Griffin a five dollar bill uh, because Griffin did not understand he was too little to understand the value of money and how you can pay the same amount of money the same value of money in different ways so for example if I gave Jillian ten dimes that's a dollar but I gave Griffin four quarters, that's a dollar too, Griffin would have a big tantrum because he only got four things and she got ten things. He couldn't understand that they were the same amount of money. <clears throat> well, he, interestingly, he wasn't really very bothered if I gave him the ten dimes and her the four quarters. Um, as just as soon as he saw that, that, that she had more things than he did, he, he would have a fit saying that that was just unfair, unfair, unfair. Uh, he never really seemed to notice that he was getting a dollar that he didn't have before and she was getting a dollar that she didn't have before and that he could have just been happy about that. All he knew was that he was not getting as much even though, of course, he was getting the same amount as Jillian, just paid in a different way. Well, in today's parable of the vineyard workers, what happens is a man, a, a landowner, a vineyard owner, 
goes into the town to hire people to work in his vineyard. And he goes early in the morning and he hires some workers and he says, I'm going to pay you this amount to work all day. And they say, great. And they come and work for him, but there's not enough workers. So he goes a little bit later and he gets some more workers and he tells them, this time he doesn't say, I'm going to pay you a certain amount. He just says, I'm going to pay you what's fair. And there's still not enough workers, so he goes and gets some more. And then finally, about one hour before quitting time, he goes and hires some more. And at the end of the day, which was sundown, he paid all the workers. He paid the amount that he said that he was going to pay the workers in the morning. He said, I'll pay you a denarius, and he paid them a denarius. But then all the workers who got hired later, including the ones who got hired just an hour before quitting time, they got the same amount. They got a denarius. Even though they hadn't worked all day, they'd only worked an hour. Well, the people who had worked all day said, that's not fair. And sometimes when we hear this parable, that's what we think. We immediately identify with the workers who didn't get paid a lot more because they worked longer. Um, but they did get what they agreed on. They got the denarius that they agreed on. What they didn't like was the fact that everybody else who didn't work quite as long got paid the same amount. This is really a story that's a little confusing. It's called an allegory. It's a story where the different people in the story actually represent other things. So the landowner, for example, he represents God. And God gives everybody the same love and grace. God uh, has given us the great gift of eternal life. It's not something that we get just because we came early to the party. It's not a gift that we're given because we're just good or better than anybody else. It's a gift that God chooses to give. It is a gift that God chooses to uh, give generously to all of us. I was thinking this week about uh, the SpaceX flights that are, are planned into outer space and how there's a, a long list of very, very rich people who are already on the waiting list to go to outer space on one of these commercial rocket ships as soon as they become available. And they've already paid a lot of money just to be on the waiting list. I mean, as much as a house it costs to get one ticket to go into outer space on on one of these SpaceX ships that they're building, rocket ships that they're building. And I thought, well, I'll never be able to afford to do that. I'll never be able to afford to go into outer space with a ticket costing as much as a house. But then I started thinking about, well, what about heaven? You know, what if you could buy a ticket to heaven? But the thing is, you can't. If you went to the airport and said, I'd like a ticket to heaven, they'd be like, can't help ya. You went to the train station or the bus station and tried to buy a ticket to heaven, they'd say, can't help you. Um, that is a, a ticket that only God can give to us. And he gives it to us, uh, gives it, makes that available to all of us. All of us. It's something we could never pay for. And when we say that to God, when we say, I could never pay for that ticket, God says, you know, you don't have to because Jesus already paid the price for that. Jesus already bought the ticket for you. So 
we live our lives in gratitude to a God who is so generous, who gives us so much, who gives us the, 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 the gift of eternal life, because he chooses to do that, because he chooses to be generous, because he chooses to, to love us beyond what we could possibly ever deserve, that we could ever possibly do for ourselves. So today, when we hear this parable about the laborers in the vineyard and who gets paid the same amount even though they work different times, we're really supposed to look not so much at the workers, but at the generous the generous landowner who, who, who pays them all this, this wonderful wage um, and just get reminded that God is generous with all of us beyond measure. We get so much more than we deserve, so much more than we could do for ourselves and so uh, it invites us to look at our, our neighbors differently, not to look at people as having more or having less but as people who are loved by God just as we are. Thanks for joining me this morning. Let us pray. Bring your word near to us, O God. May it rest not only on our lips, but also reside in our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to respond to your word with our whole lives until you become our dwelling place. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 16th chapter of Exodus, beginning with the second verse. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. 
When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 20th chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the first verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out at about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily rate wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only for one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. They must have been late in their life together, near the end in fact, when one of his disciples finally said what they'd all been thinking. They had followed him up and down Galilee for three years. They had walked away from their families and their livelihoods, away from the comfort of home, the comfort of routine. They had gone hungry, they had slept on the ground, they had been cold and wet and tired, and now at this very moment, it appears that Jesus has decided to go to Jerusalem, and they're not sure that they're going to get out alive. His enemies will be waiting for him and for them. They've given quite a bit, actually, sacrificing everything for him, for his love and grace, and they've observed over the three years how he has accepted into his company People who weren't really very acceptable, people who had not sacrificed anything, people who as a matter of fact were well known as sinners. It didn't seem to bother them, bother him. He just continued to dine with tax collectors and prostitutes. And so finally I think Peter, must have been Peter, or maybe John the beloved, or maybe Judas the, the bookkeeper, finally said what they all were thinking. Surely, Jesus, you don't think as much of them as you do about us. 
Surely you don't love them as much as you love us. Surely they, traitors and prostitutes, are not worth as much to you after all we've done for you. And so Jesus tells them a story, a story that we've come to know well as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Almost everybody has a really strong reaction to this parable, typically identifying with the laborers who were hired early in the day and have worked all day long. A landowner goes to the marketplace early in the morning and he hires laborers and he promises to pay them a denarius, a day's wage. The vineyard owner goes back to the marketplace several times during the day for more laborers, this time promising them what is right. Promises not to pay them a certain amount, but just says, what is just? I'll pay you what is right. Laborers keep getting added to the mix all day long, including just an hour before sundown, the end of the workday. And at the end of the day, the landowner pays them all the same amount of money, no matter how long they have worked, whether they've worked for one hour or whether they've worked in the scorching heat all day long. Most people who hear this parable react immediately. That's not fair. The laborers who worked for an hour shouldn't get the same amount as those who worked all day. The payment of the laborers intensifies our questions about justice and grace. Those who worked all day got the amount that they agreed to work for, but they are incensed that those who didn't work all day got the same amount. The vineyard owner reminds them that they received the agreed upon wages and that he has the right to do what he wants with what belongs to him, including being generous if he chooses to be. Well, nearly all readings of this parable in Christian tradition have understood it as an allegory, wherein the owner is God and the denarius, the day's wage, represents salvation. The parable is understood as being about the generosity of God. It's not about equity or proper disbursement of wages, but about a gracious and undeserved gift. It is not about an economic exchange, but rather about the bestowing of grace and mercy to all, no matter what kind of time they've put in or how deserving or undeserving we think them to be. And the parable makes the point to us that God's generosity often, often violates our own sense of right and wrong, uh, our own sense of how things should be. Because this parable really challenge us to, challenges us to see through the eyes of God, to see ourselves and to see others as God sees us. It calls us to turn away from holding on to grudges when things don't go our way and to turn toward being grateful people. The late Henry Nouwen, Dutch priest and theologian, once said this, the hardest thing for us to understand is how God can love all human beings with the same unlimited love, while at the same time loving each of them in a totally unique way. Nouwen went on by saying, somehow we think we can only fully enjoy our being loved by God if others are loved less than we are. It is difficult to understand that God loves all equally and each uniquely. It is not easy to accept the fact that my enemies are not also God's enemies, 
or that the people who so flagrantly abuse the standards of integrity, faithfulness, and justice to which I am committed are somehow loved by God just as I am. This story is not an economic model, but it does dramatically overturn the conventional way people think about God and about others. Marcus Borg, in his book, The God We Never Knew, suggests that the concept of God that most of us received in childhood was God is a record keeper, a finger pointer, a stern judge, meeting out punishments. But in this, this story, God is not keeping score. God is not a cosmic accountant keeping the books, making entries on the basis of merit accumulated. God's system is based on something other than performance, on the infinite value of people. And it somehow confronts and contradicts everything we think we know about God and about fairness. I've always found it interesting that this parable doesn't tell us anything about why the laborers who are hired late in the day are still available. When asked why they are still there in the marketplace waiting to be hired, they say that there hasn't been any need of them. There hasn't been work for them. They're kind of like the last kids to be picked for a team in a pickup pick up game of baseball. When the landowner hires them late in the day, when he said, you also go into the vineyard, it wasn't so much a financial deal as it was a life-affirming and life-giving gift that they were worthy and understanding that I need you. I have work for you to do. You're valuable to me. The owner cares about the unemployed, the marginal, the leftover people, more than he cares about his profit margin, apparently. We also don't know anything about the life circumstances of those who are still waiting to be hired. Maybe they weren't chosen because they looked tired. Maybe they lived far away and had to walk 20 miles to get to the marketplace to look for work. Maybe they were at home taking care of a, a sick relative and they're weary and they look it. Who knows? We aren't given any details about the circumstances of their lives. We just know that they haven't been hired for much of the day and that for them, making money to feed and shelter their families wasn't likely to be possible that day. This owner cares about the marginal, the very ones that the world overlooks and leaves behind. This owner cares about personal value, which results from being included. This owner sounds a lot like the man whose hospitality reached out to include those whom society included, often excluded, often routinely shut out those considered to be unclean, sinners, traitors, prostitutes, and whose amazing grace ultimately softened and changed the hearts of even his closest friends, the ones who were so sure they deserved and had earned their position in his kingdom. But there's a question that is really begging to be asked. Does this whole idea of grace undermine any reason to try to be good? If we all get equal pay, why bother working hard all day? Well, it's a good question. A simplistic theology of grace sounds like permissiveness. 
God loves all, all are included, so why even bother trying to be good, kind, and faithful? But we all know that grace is costly. That grace cost the life of God's Son, and the life of grace turns out to be one not of moral relativism, but devoted and disciplined love. And the purpose of grace is not to allow us to accept the past, but to give us a future. This is a story that often makes us uncomfortable. It challenges deeply held values and opens up a whole new way of thinking about God and one another. But it is also finally good news, not only for the marginalized, but for all of us. Most of us discover along the way that the best of our relationships are based not so much on our wonderful attributes, but on someone else's patience, forgiveness, acceptance, and grace. And that whatever standing we have with God, likewise, is not finally because we are so wonderful or hardworking or upright and righteous, but because God just chooses to love us. God generously decides to bestow his grace upon us. I once was asked to do a funeral for a veteran whom I did not know. I was contacted by the funeral home. He wasn't a church member. And I met with his family and they told me that they were not religious, not in the least, but that their father had been. They asked for only one hymn, Amazing Grace. And after being told so vehemently that they were not religious, I was astonished at the service that they all wept during this hymn. These folks who considered themselves not to be religious, who told me that they definitely were not, were moved to tears by this hymn written by John Newton, captain of an English slave ship. Having been tortured by the, the dreadful slave trade that he was serving, Newton gradually turned to Christ when reading Thomas Akempis's Imitation of Christ and, and discovering that nothing he had ever done changed the love of Christ for him. He became an Anglican priest, and he wrote a hymn about his own life and about grace. I think we know about grace because we hunger for it, and we long for it, and, and maybe have experienced just enough of it to know that it can save our lives by telling us that we matter, that we are of value, that we are needed, that there's work for us to do. That is the good news of the hymn, Amazing Grace and also of this difficult parable, that there is one who loves us with an amazing steadiness, an amazing consistency, amazing tenacity, and yes, an amazing grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Sparrow 
join together in affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. 
I invite you to join us next Sunday for a baseball-themed service, God and the Spirituality of Baseball. We hope that you will be with us. And now may you go forth in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. Yo-ho!